If you're new with us this morning, uh, my name is Blake, one of the pastor elders here at Christ Community Church, um, but also just one of the family. And uh, I want to begin today by uh, just expressing a ton of gratitude and thankfulness for our church family. Uh, this week was a, a difficult week for our family as uh, we celebrated the life of Rosemary Colvin, uh, Caitlin's grandmother. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you who've reached out and uh, all of you who've helped uh, with these flowers that uh, help to honor her. I think of no better place than the foot of the cross for them this morning. And so thank you. Thank you to each of you. Uh, this morning, as we dig into that text that Megan just read from us from Romans 8, I want to encourage you to find that in a Bible uh, or on a Bible app. And if you're in the Bible app uh, this morning, we also have notes there from uh, our sermon for uh Christ Community Church. So, um, with that, and before we get started, I think uh, there are just, so Christ Community, <laughs> I love Christ Community, and it's become a part of uh, our family's story and who we are, and um, you know, one of the things that I've loved about Christ Community is that from the beginning, the vision has uh, demanded, called us to go outside, to join Jesus outside the gates, and then uh, a few years into that, uh, as I began leading, we really got drawn as well to that 14th verse in Hebrews 13 that says, here we have no lasting city, we seek the city that is to come. The idea of seeking the Lord's kingdom. And so it's important for us as a church to continually uh, be reminded that, uh, man, this church here, that gathers here, is not the be-all, end-all. Uh, unless the Lord comes back, this church will die one day. And so we uh, celebrate with, man, just great and glad hearts uh, whenever the kingdom is growing. And the kingdom grows in lots of different ways, but most certainly it does it through local churches. And so I wanted to take some time this morning uh, as we began. Uh, the Lord just laid several churches on, on my heart and uh, through conversations and things this week. And uh, we've done this before. I want to do it now in this moment to just take some time to pray for some other churches in our community. So uh, one church that we certainly want to pray for is the new church that we sent out last week. Uh, we're, we're short some people. They like to sit in the front. So like the front row is empty now. Thank you guys. I mean, neighbors holding it down right here in the front row. But besides them, uh, you know, like they, they, were, they were, were missing some people who are helping to launch a new church in Henry County, uh, their first preview service this morning. We want to pray for them. Um, we spent some time on Labor's Day, Labor Day in Martinsville, at Martinsville Day. Uh, what a great event that was. And while we were there, uh, I was asked specifically if we could be praying for Clay Street Baptist uh, right on Midland Trail as they are in between pastors and seeking their next season of leadership. We want to pray for them. Uh, this week, I learned of an event uh, coming up on the 22nd uh, at Shelbyville Wesleyan Church. I don't know if you know their story, but... Uh, a storm took out a huge part of their building earlier in the year, and several churches are rallying to help do that. We want to pray for them. And, uh, and then we also learn, or are learning this weekend, that there's a new church uh, being planted in Shelbyville, uh, being started in Shelbyville. Southeast Christian is uh, going to open up a new church here in Shelbyville, and we're excited to see the kingdom growing in that way. And so we want to be praying for all of those churches because, man, we have not a lasting city, Right? The things of this earth are short, but the local church, when we see the kingdom growing, we are excited and we want to be praying for that 
And so I want to take time to just pray for those churches as we, um, as we worship this morning. So if you would, pray with me for our time in the Word in those churches. Father, we, uh, man, I'm so grateful for passages like Romans 8, 28, where we're reminded, despite our stories, despite the past of who we are, despite all the bad things that we face, despite how terrible our weeks have been, that you are working all things together for good. Your love never fails. And, uh, and so, God, we look forward to celebrating and hearing from you. Uh, we pray that, that we would hear from your spirit as he teaches us this morning through your word. Uh, and, God, as we do that, we are so grateful for uh, gospel-centered partners uh, in the mission, in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and we just want to pray for some of those uh, local churches that are on our hearts this week. Uh, we pray for, for Caleb and for Henry County. Uh, and we, we pray, God, that uh, as they uh, launch this morning for the first time, as they, as they preview, uh, we know there's so many things that happen before they like, really get going in the spring. But this preview, we pray for it today. It would be an encouragement that would help to, to really just solidify the mission that you're calling people to there. God, we pray for Clay Street and their time of transition. We pray that you would be preparing the church um, for the next pastor there. And we pray that you would uh, be riding on the pastor's heart that you've called, uh, that that's where uh, he is to serve. God, we pray for Shelby Wesleyan and, and Brother Doug. And we thank you for his good leadership. And we pray that you would, uh, that you would just encourage them greatly with this event coming up on the 22nd, that uh, you would uh, allow him to see the kingdom working together for your good. And God, we do just pray for Max and for Southeast uh, as they uh, prepare to uh, open uh, this new campus here in Shelbyville. God, we pray that many would come to know the name of the Lord Jesus as a result of their good work. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you uh, for, the, for the gospel story that changes everything, that changes us. And, God, we pray that you would continue to keep our eyes focused on the city that is to come, the kingdom in which we will serve you our great King. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Romans 8, 28. We know, we know that all things work together for the good. We know. Do we know? Do, do we really know? If we're honest with ourselves, maybe the better question is, why do we doubt that this is true? We know that all things work together for the good. <clears throat> Earlier this summer, Caitlin and I received a phone call, and a lady that we had learned of in Louisville who um, had considered, adopt, uh, considered giving a child up for adoption and had elected to keep it, was pregnant again. And she called to let us know that she was pregnant and that she would be very interested in us adopting this child. The child was due to be born in February of 2020. So Caitlin and I, we were filled with joy and excitement We've known that the Lord has called us to, at some point in our journey, adopt and uh, take care of, of widows and orphans. And uh, we were so full of joy when that happened. I, I actually remember 
the, the first time that it was like official, official, uh, I was uh, actually gone. I was in Texas, and Caitlin called and said, this is, this is what's going on. And, and so I came home, and we scheduled up a time to meet with this young lady, and we were so looking forward to the meeting. It, it, you know, the, the meeting was set. We were all looking forward to it. And uh, it was about 10 days away from the meeting at that point, and I had to travel one more time. And um, while I was gone, she texted Caitlin, and she canceled our meeting. She said to us that she had found someone else to adopt the child. Whether that's true, honestly, we really don't know. And the meeting was canceled. We've really heard nothing else since then. We know there's a child to be born in February whose mother is wavering about whether or not it's the right thing to do for her to raise this child. We know that all things work together for the good. But what do we do when we don't see what we thought was the good ending? What do we do when we don't see what we thought was the good ending? You see, it's in those moments that we learn about our faith. It's in those moments that we truly decide what it is we believe. Do we doubt God's word that's so clearly written in verses like Romans 8.28 that we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose? Because there seems to be no doubt in God's word. It says we know. We don't waver. We know. So how is it we can know when so many of the things that we face or so many of the things that are in our stories or so many of the things that we see in our past don't seem good? You see, the bad in our past often keeps us from knowing the good of our future. Maybe it's something that was done to us. Maybe it's something that we did. Maybe it's just something that we've observed. But the bad in our past often keeps us from knowing the good of our future. And yet we read in God's word that we know, we know there's a sense of confidence there that all things work together for the good. So do we know? We do. We do know. But we only know by faith. You say, yeah, but Blake, faith in what? Faith in what? Because if I'm not seeing the good, what is my faith in? How do we know that all things are working together for good? Paul continues on in verse 29. Paul writes, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, God determined beforehand, before the creation of the world, before you were made, God determined beforehand the believer's destiny. Namely, he predetermined your conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. He predestined you to be conformed, to be shifted and shaped and made into the image of his Son. God knew Not just what you would do. He knew you. See the difference? 
It isn't that God just knows what you're going to do and so he shapes everything. Like, he knows you. He knew that you were going to need to be shaped and molded and pressed and squeezed as you were conformed into the image of Christ. He knew that at times your pride was going to need to be rolled into a ball and stomped on and thrown into a trash can so that you could look more like his son. God knew you. And he wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus so that you can share in the inheritance of eternal life in heaven. God knew. You know, anytime we run into this idea of God knowing beforehand, of God predestining, there's some natural questions that come up. Well, you say, Blake, does, does this mean that God predestined some for salvation and some for damnation before the world began? Does this mean that God just made some of us to go to hell? Is another way to ask that question. Well, God knew not just what you would do. He knew you. You see, God did know what you would do in terms of choosing to love and trust him. And foreknowing your choice, he actively chose to predestine some to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he passively didn't choose those who would not love him. You might think of it in terms of choosing your fantasy team. Anybody in fantasy leagues? All right, only a few of you. If not, it's like picking teams on the playground, right? The idea is the same. It's not that you wouldn't pick certain players for your team. It's that you didn't take the opportunity to. And you say, okay, Blake, so if God is predestining this beforehand, which, which comes first? Is it, is it our choice to love God, or is, is it God's sovereignty to choose you? Which comes first? And it's a flawed question. It's like the chicken or the egg. It's similar to asking, should you push on the left pedal or the right pedal of your bike to make it go? You see, God's sovereignty and your choice are two pedals on the same bike. Which one moves first? That's not what matters. What matters is that both are working together to move your faith journey forward. And when we think about this truth and this reality about God, it reminds us that God is a both-and God. He is sovereign and we have a choice. He not only knew what you would do, but he also knew you. He knew what would make you up. He knew what would make you cry and what would make you angry. He knew what would give you joy and what would make you sad. He knew what would tempt you and what would give you strength. God doesn't just know what you're going to do. He knows you to the fiber and core of your being. And because of that, we can count on God's sovereignty to conform believers to the image of his son. And the great comfort in that is that we cannot mess up God's plan to make us co-heirs with Christ. We can't mess it up. You say, but what about our choice? What is our choice? What do we need to do? What is our responsibility? We go back to verse 28 for just a moment. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. How do we love God? How do we love God? You know, if I told 
my children, that I love them. And then every time they asked me to do something with them, I told them I would rather do something else. Do you think they would know that I love them? At some point, that would be hollow, right? And so to love God is to love God's plan for our lives. To love his plan to conform us into the image of his son. It's to love God's plan and not your plan. So what is God's plan? We read this in verse 30. Those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, the way that you and I choose to love God should be shaped by the plan that he has already laid out for us. And so as we think about loving God's plan and not our plan for our life, I want to give us three things as we look at these these stages and these steps of God's plan. Number one is this, change your priority. To change your priority. The scripture says, those God predestined, he also called. Called to what? What does it mean that the Lord has called you? As I think about this, I go back to the first disciples that Jesus called. He simply asked them to follow him, and they did. Not because he asked, but because they believed that he was the one who had come to save them. In those moments where those first disciples chose to follow Jesus, all of their priorities changed, right? All of a sudden, fixing their fishing nets wasn't as important. It wasn't the priority. Doing boat maintenance dropped down the list. It might have still needed to be done, but it wasn't as important. Their priority became following Jesus, because if they wanted to go with him, they needed to be like him. And if they wanted to be like him, they needed to prioritize following him. You see, a scattered life is always caused by scattered priorities. A scattered life is always caused by scattered priorities. It's not the number of things that you do that causes you to be scattered. It's the number of purposes that you try and prioritize. If you prioritize one thing, one purpose, maybe better yet, one person, then what can be done is limitless. But when we try to serve many masters, Scripture tells us we will fail. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3, talks about this one priority. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, our mind is to be focused, laser-focused, on the one priority of being in Christ. Dr. Joe Ellison is the principal at Collins High School, and he has coined a phrase that won't leave my mind. It's very powerful. He's champion as the year began. And he simply tells people, feed your focus, starve your distractions. It's good. I told him he should just come preach the message today. He said he was out of town. I said, how about next week? He said, out of town. I said, how about the next week? He said, I think I'm open that weekend. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I haven't told him yet that's a Love Shuggle day. Here's my question. Only you can answer it for yourself. Is Jesus your focus? So simple. Are you focused on the fact that he has called you to a life that looks like his? 
Like, is that the first question that comes into your mind when you wake up in the morning? If you're focused on Christ, if your life is is focused on being conformed and shaped and twisted to look like his, then feed that focus and starve the things that are distracting you from it. Following Christ demands that you change your priorities. Your priority is not your family, it's not your job, it's not your problems. Your priority is Christ. And that may sound strong, but he, in his faithfulness, will make sure that you have the energy and the resources and the wisdom to take care of all of those other things if you make him the priority. Singular, one, him. Is he your focus? If today Jesus is not your focus, there isn't a way forward besides changing your priority. To repent. To confess that you've given yourself to something else. There's no escaping this simple practice. Nothing should be priority but Christ. He has called you to follow him on your way to a life that looks like his. Super practically. What Colin said up here as he was asked questions at his community group, you may have feel like you've heard that before. You may have feel like, yeah, I've heard that somewhere before. But what he said is so true. You have to make that a priority. That's how you feed the focus of prioritizing Christ, is to be in community with one another. You must choose to change your priority. Number two, you have to choose to trust first. You have to choose to trust first. Paul continues in the process, right? Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. So follow this with me. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that even if Jesus was your one priority and you followed him with everything you are and you did a ton of great things and all the energy you have, you still, you still wouldn't be righteous. Like there would still be things in you that weren't right. You would still have days when maybe like Caitlin and I, you're doubting, is this good, God? I'm I'm struggling to see the good. There would still be those moments where you are not right. And knowing that, he made a way for you to be justified. He made a way for you to be made right. He sent his son as the perfect sacrifice to pay for and to justify and to make right every wrong. He trusted, he trusted his son because he loved you. The single thing we could do would be to choose to trust him first in return. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name, those who know your name trust in you because you've not abandoned those who seek you, Lord. You're in a world that is fighting for trust I found a really peculiar thing to be true. Those that I trust the most are those who have seen me at my worst and still love me. They've seen me at my worst and they still love me. And when I know that that is true, I trust that person. There are few people I trust because they have great wisdom or because they have profound experiences. But mostly those I trust are those who've seen me make huge mistakes and they stick around while we work through them together. And so I ask you the question, why do you and I doubt 
God, when he has seen us at our very worst, when he's seen us before we would make the mistake and yet send his son to help us become our very best, to help conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, why do we doubt? He has justified you. What more could someone do to make you trust them? And so the response from us shouldn't be to just trust him. It's choosing to trust him first. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, some people say, I'll try my best and when I get to the end of my rope, then I'll trust the Lord. We do this in all kinds of things. To choose to trust God first is to reverse that order. It's to say that he gets the first. He gets the best of who I am. He gets my priority. And I'm trusting that he will take care of everything else. You know, one of the ways that we express this most clearly, and we forget it, especially if we've been journeying with Christ for a long time. When we step into the waters of baptism, as Tinley and Cadence did last week, as maybe some of you need to do today, when we step into those waters, we're choosing to trust him first. We're choosing to say, you know what? My life is really messed up. I can't fix it. And I'm just going to choose to trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and you're going to change my life. I'm choosing to trust him first. Today, all across the nation, all across the nation, people in local churches just like this one will choose to take that step. Not because they've got it figured out, but because they would choose to trust the Lord before they trust themselves. They would choose to trust God's plan before their own plan. They have chosen to make Christ a priority. Maybe today you need to make that step. That's just the first one. You also have to begin then, as he changes you, to choose to trust him first. Instead of, instead of trusting him with what you have left, financially, do you give to the Lord out of what you have first or out of what you have left? With your time, you heard them talk about schedules. Do you give to the Lord first? Like, man, this, like, I need 30 minutes a day with the Lord. I'm not even sure what that looks like yet, but I'm going to block out that time and we're going to figure it out together. Or do you just give him what's left? Hopefully at the end of the day, I'll have a little bit left for him. And that brings us to another one, like just pure energy. Do you ever think about giving the Lord your best energy? Like, Lord, when I, when I walk into work, I know there's somebody that you've been calling me to have a conversation with. I'm going to go approach that person when I've got some energy to have a real conversation with them. Choose to trust the Lord with your first instead of what you have left. You know, I've never known someone to say, man, I wish I'd waited a little bit longer to get out of debt. Like, I, you know, if I just kept the debt a little bit longer, I'd pay a little bit more in interest and I'd felt a little better about myself. And yet for so many of us, we live in the debt of our spiritual lives. Ah, at some point, I'll get around to making the Lord a priority. You know, the time and the money and the energy that you waste while you're holding back your trust from God it's going gonna, it's gonna, like, gonna to be huge in our face when we realize the time and the energy, money and the energy that he would give us if we would give him our first and our best. 
We have to change our priorities. We have to choose to trust first. And last but not least, we just have to simply choose to cooperate with his plan for your life change. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified and made right. And those he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? Think about this. God knew you before the creation of the world. And at the end, at the end of that story, he wants to glorify you. Like, that's crazy. He knew you before time. He knew all the things you would choose to do that aren't right. And yet, at the end of the story, he wants to glorify you. Wouldn't he want to glorify himself? Yes, he does. And yet, he made a way for you to be joined into that glory. He wants to include us in this plan for his glory. That's incredible. Like, like that blows my mind. I don't even know how to illustrate what that means. It makes verses that we overuse sometimes that much more meaningful. When we read Jeremiah 29, 11 and following, it may be a verse that you've heard before. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And we hold on to this. And we hope that that future and that hope looks like a great house and a marriage and awesome kids and a dog that doesn't pee in the house. Right? Like that's our hope. God's hope for you is that he would glorify you as he glorifies his one and only son. That's your future. That's your hope as believers in Christ. And he says, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You see, the God of the universe decided before he ever created you to do everything within his power to include you in his glory. That's his plan for your life. But too often our plan, our plan for our life, becomes our priority. That's the future and the hope that we hope God gives us. Why do you not cooperate with God's plan? To be glorified alongside the Savior of the world. Why is it that you set up blocks, oftentimes by trying to execute your plan, instead of going along with his? You know, it's often a hard issue. We lack the humility to admit that our plan is inferior to God's. Like, we just can't get around it. I don't want to be wrong about what I think my life should look like. I'm simply reminded of John 3.30, he must become greater and I must become less. So the question with this one is simple again. Whose plan is increasing in your life? God's plan or yours? If it's his, keep going. Like, please, for the sake of the rest of us, keep going. But if it's your plan, would you humble yourself today? Would you like, be willing to just let the words eke out through your mouth? I've been trying to live my life for me and not for the Lord. Humble yourself.
Change your priority. Choose to trust Him first. And cooperate with God's plan for your life. Three steps towards loving God's plan and not yours. There's a beautiful truth inside of all this. That nothing in the past can stop God's plan for the future. Nothing in the past can stop God's plan for the future. And what that means is that wherever you are today, maybe you are far from the Lord. Maybe maybe you've just had a season of walking away from him where you've been increasing and he's been decreasing. I don't know. Maybe you're in a great track. But wherever you are today, nothing in the past stops God's plan for the future. And so as the band comes and as we respond today, it's a simple question. We've had a lot of simple questions today. It's very piercing, very black and white today. Whose plan do you love? Yours or God's? Yours or God's? If today your answer is, I love my plan more, I ask, I plead, humble yourself, repent. The baptistry is filled up. Choose to trust him by taking your first step and dying to yourself and dying to your plan and giving yourself to God's plan for your life. A plan that includes you being glorified alongside of the the God of heaven as you glorify him. Today as we respond, and the band sings, and we sing with them, we also take part in the Lord's Supper. For those of us who have made that commitment to Christ, who have stepped into the waters of baptism, each week when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of that commitment that we made. It's a reminder of, of the fact that Christ has already gone first in showing us what this is supposed to look like. We take a piece of the bread representative of his body and we dip it in the juice representative of his blood that he shed on the cross for us. And in doing that, we remember that he decreased so that we could all increase together. We take it and we remember that we're called to the same. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us as we respond to the Lord this morning. Lord, uh, as the song says, I come and I confess that I, I need your rest. Blake Lawyer needs your rest, God. It's so easy uh, to, to try and do it on my own, try and follow my plan. And so, Lord, I, I pray. Pray, God, that we would not be so wrapped up in our own plans that we would not give priority to you and your plan for us. Father, if there are those here that, that need to come, that need to confess, that need to, to, to know you as you have known them, Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to, to step out, to seek you with all of their heart, to make you the priority of their life today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.